Welcome to the Cytokine Signaling Forum's highlights from ACR 2021, where authors will take us through their posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. My name is Len Calabrese. I'm the head of the Cleveland Clinic's section of clinical immunology. You know, this year's ACR convergence had a number of interesting presentations beyond the scope of rheumatoid arthritis. In this edition, we're going to listen to data on the use of upadacitinib in spondyloarthritis. Hi, my name is uh, Daniel Magliulo. I'm a second year rheumatology fellow at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, Massachusetts. On behalf of my co-authors, Dr. Stephanie Wade and Dr. Vasilios Kateris, I'm very excited to share the data from our abstract at the 2021 ACR meeting. Our abstract is entitled, Optimizing SARS-CoV-2 Vaccine Timing in Rituximab-Treated Patients with Autoimmune Rheumatic Diseases, a Quality Improvement Intervention. We decided to study this topic shortly after the emergency FDA approval of SARS-CoV-2 vaccines in the United States. We know from past data from our patients that with autoimmune rheumatic disease on rituximab, that there is a clear impairment of humoral response to vaccines. There was also emerging data at the time that rituximab was a risk factor for severe SARS-CoV-2 infections, which made optimization of vaccine immunogenicity of the utmost importance. So onto our hypothesis and our aim. So our primary aim of this study uh, was first of quality improvement within the rheumatology department at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. We hope to improve vaccination rates and timing through both patient and provider education. Secondarily, when the data was available, we went back and chart reviewed and evaluated immunogenicity to vaccines and assessed the effect of various immunologic parameters on likelihood of vaccine response. So onto the methods, uh, our inclusion criteria included any patient actively receiving rituximab for an autoimmune related uh, rheumatic disease within the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center Rheumatology Department. Patients were excluded if rituximab was postponed or discontinued at the time of study start. Physician education was provided via a one-hour virtual presentation. Education highlighted the data supporting the 2019 ULAR vaccine guidelines for patients on rituximab and also the recent ACR COVID-19 task force guidelines. Timing of vaccination was recommended in accordance to the 2019 ULAR and ACR COVID-19 task force guidelines, which were to vaccinate patients at least six months following the last dose of rituximab and four weeks prior to the next infusion. Patient education was provided in the form of a standardized letter from the department on importance of vaccine and timing. Following the education, providers were asked to record their preference to time all patients' vaccinations according to these guidelines universally or whether they were going to individualize vaccination plans based on patient risk factors. Vaccine timing was then measured through chart review and through telephone surveys of patients. And finally, when the data was available, vaccine immunogenicity was measured by the presence or absence of SARS-CoV-2 anti-spike antibodies at least two weeks following vaccination. This was analyzed in response to vaccine timing and various other immunologic parameters were gathered to determine the effect on likelihood of response. Uh, so it, in summarizing our results, uh, regarding the rate and timing of vaccination, our cohort had a 95.2% uh, vaccination rate, which is far higher than both the state and national rates for SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. 
and vaccination rates were also remarkably higher than historical rates of other recommended vaccines amongst patients on rituximab therapy, suggesting that directed patient education improves these rates. The median time from last rituximab infusion to first vaccine dose was 20.5 weeks and to the second vaccine dose was 24.3 weeks when a second vaccine was given. The median time from second vaccine to rituximab infusion was 7.2 weeks. Patients whose providers expressed universal intent to time vaccines were more likely to be vaccinated at least 20 weeks post rituximab than those whose providers took a more individualized approach. And this was statistically significant with the p-value of 0.04. Interestingly, the higher cumulative rituximab dose uh, per patient at the time of study start was associated with vaccination under 20 weeks from last infusion. We can speculate that this may be related to provider concerns for more severe SARS-CoV-2 infections in these patients. However, this data was not available. Regarding immunogenicity of vaccines, uh, 14 out of 42 patients, that's 39.4%, had positive anti-spike antibody titers. This percentage is similar to other cohorts that have come out uh, in a similar time frame regarding these vaccines uh, with patients on rituximab. There was a non-statistically significant trend towards older age in the seronegative group with a p-value of 0.06. A history of hypogammaglobulinemia, both IgG and IgM, was predictive of a negative anti-spike antibody titer post-vaccination with a p-value of 0.008. This remains significant even when correcting for medications and age, as you can see from figure one. We uh, performed a multivariate logistic regression analysis uh, looking at age, corticosteroids, uh, conventional DMARDs, and hypogammaglobulinemia remained uh, statistically significant. There was no significant difference in anti-spike antibody titer positivity uh, with autoimmune rheumatic disease diagnosis, whether that be rheumatoid arthritis, vasculitis, connective tissue diseases, IgG4-related disease. CD19 and CD20 counts were also not statistically significant between the two groups. Neither was steroid dose or con concomitant DMARD use. And lastly, vaccine timing, surprisingly, was not different between seropositive and seronegative groups. Other studies have shown that B-cell depletion is a strongly predictive factor for lack of humoral response to SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. And we hypothesized that our data did not show this as patients who had B-cells checked in our study uh, had reconstitution at the time of vaccination. And therefore that difference was likely not reflected in our results. It was interesting that timing did not affect likelihood of seropositivity uh, as it has been demonstrated in other similar cohorts. However, there was only a handful of patients who were vaccinated more than 10 months after their last rituximab infusion, which appears to be the threshold where a significant difference was seen in other studies. So it is likely that our data did not reflect that. Regarding safety data, this was similar to uh, nationally reported data by the CDC. The most common reported side effects uh, were injection site pain and fatigue. Uh, there was no reported flares of rheumatic disease amongst our cohort and no serious or life-threatening side effects requiring hospitalization. So overall, the strengths of our study is the relatively robust size of our cohort. We had 72 patients in our cohort and we had 42 patients who had uh, SARS-CoV antibodies checked, which is relatively large. 
And the other major strength of our study is uh, it represents a, a pragmatic effort from a single center to improve vaccination rates and timing for a high-risk population in the midst of a SARS-CoV-2 pandemic and highlights the difficulties that were likely faced by institutions and clinics worldwide in this unprecedented situation we were in. The limitations of this of our study, uh, one, we did not have a control group of which to compare the quality improvement intervention on vaccine rates and timing. We instead were only able to compare to public health data and to historical data from other vaccines. Regarding other limitations, the observational nature of our study prevented our ability to control what laboratory or clinical data was collected from patients. This led to several sample size limitations and may have underestimated the predictive value of several parameters. In particular, our data may represent the actual degree to which B cell depletion affects seropositivity rates. And furthermore, we were unable to assess uh, the role of any T cell responses uh, to SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, which is an area of uh, uh, heavy uh, interest and, and study right now. And due to the limited time of follow-up after vaccination, we were also unable to comment on post-vaccine SARS-CoV-2 infection rates and severity, which is perhaps the most uh, important patient-centered outcome. However, this is certainly a a highly important area for further study, um, as is the effect of the third vaccine on seropositive rates in this population. So in conclusion, uh, patient and physician education may improve rates of patient vaccination and adherence to societal guidelines for vaccine timing. Uh, the low seropositive rate, seropositivity rate in our studies suggests that recommended interval from last rituximab of six months may need to be extended further. And finally, regular monitoring of immunoglobulin levels may be important in predicting immunogenicity to SARS-CoV-2 vaccination and may be a uh, lab parameter that should be monitored by clinicians moving forward. Uh, so thank you very much for, your, for taking the time to listen uh, to our study. And we're excited to hopefully publish this data in the near future. Hello all, um, thank you for this uh, opportunity to share our work on um, Rituximab impairs B-cell response, but not T-cell response to COVID-19 vaccine in autoimmune diseases. Um, this work has been uh, involving um, a lot of uh, people in, in our department at the rheumatology department in uh, Bicet Hospital in France. Um, uh, we are affiliated with the Paris-Saclay University, INSERM and um, APHP and CEA. I'd like to um, declare no uh, conflict of, of interest regarding uh, this uh, study. So rituximab um, impacts um, COVID-19 infection in autoimmune disease patients with an increased um, uh, risk ratio of death, as has uh, been nicely demonstrated recently, um, around 4.4 in a study by Strenchfeld and, and collaborators. Um, Something also um, interesting to mention is that the antibody response to the vaccine is diminished in uh, autoimmune disease patients uh, with a response rate around uh, 30 to 30%, depending on the, on the studies, which is clearly diminished compared to other treatments. Other um, subjects around the vaccine response are still controversial with uh, some studies showing a diminished T-cell response, uh, immunotoximab-treated patients and others uh, preserved T-cell response. And these um, appearingly uh, conflicting um, 
results might be due to uh, different um, ways to detect the T-cell response, uh, either interferon gamma release assay or um, interferon gamma uh, L-spot. So um, we decided to do a prospective um, study comparing the antibody response, uh, the neutralizing antibody response, and the CD4 and CD8 T-cell response uh, to mRNA COVID-19 uh, vaccine between autoimmune disease patient treated with rituximab, autoimmune disease uh, patient treated with other immunosuppressants or immunomodulatory agents or healthy controls. The methods uh, we used, um, this was an observational uh, case control monocentric study uh, between uh, January and May 2021. Our patients were uh, autoimmune uh, disease patients in our uh, center in Le Kremlin Bicetre in France. And we defined the rituximab group with a last infusion in the previous year. And this was part of usual care. A patient received two injections of BNT 16-2B2 at day zero and day 28, according to um, the guidelines. Um, the endpoint was as, uh, at one month post um, second injection. Uh, we measured uh, anti-spike and anti-nucleocapsid ELISA. Um, we did, we did a surrogate uh, neutralization assay and we used flow cytometric uh, intercellular staining for three different cytokines, uh, inflammatory gamma, TNF, and IL2 on activated uh, CD154 and CD4 T cells and CD137 uh, positive CD8 T cells. We compared the stimulation with control medium or spike peptides and um, used the method of intracellular staining to detect the cytokines in, the, in those cell subsets. The demographics uh, and baseline characteristics were as follows. Um, we had um, uh, matched uh, controls and age and sex uh, compared to uh, the rituximab group and the other um, therapy group, other immunosuppressant uh, group. Uh, patients were uh, around 60 years old of age. Um, most of the patients were rheumatoid arthritis patients and uh, the second largest uh, population was Sjogren's syndrome, uh, reflecting um, the patient we take care of in our department. Um, patient had um, steroids, um, uh, around 20% in the rituximab group and 40% and in the other uh, immunosuppressant group with doses uh, which were uh, similar um, and below five milligram uh, per day of uh, prednisone. Also, a lot of patients were on methotrexate, 42% uh, in the rituximab group and 34% in the other IS uh, group. Uh, regarding the results, uh, the humoral uh, response, I, I also like to mention that the size of the groups were uh, 27 uh, patients um, in the control group, uh, 24 patients in um, the rituximab group and 35 patients in the other uh, therapy group. Uh, regarding the humoral response, um, we compare the anti-spike response between uh, those three groups and we showed a significantly diminished response anti-spike. Um, we also showed a significantly uh, decreased response in the surrogate neutralization assay uh, between rituximab and healthy controls and between rituximab and other immunosuppressants. Just as in the anti-spike response, we saw a very nice correlation between 
uh, neutralizing antibodies and the anti-spike response um, with um, an R um, around uh, 0.86, um, showing that there was a, an, a good correlation. And we decided to establish a threshold of anti-spike anti response, which corresponded to 97% of participants with detectable neutralizing antibody. And this is how we define the percentage of responders. It's not only the detection of anti-spike, but the detection of anti-spike with a neutralizing, neutralizing um, ability. And so um, the percentage of responders were 92% in the healthy control group, 29% in the rituximab group, and 80% in the other immunosuppressant group with significantly diminished in the rituximab group compared to um, healthy control and other immunosuppressants uh, respectively. The factors implicated in the humoral response were uh, the time since last infusion with a significantly higher uh, time since last infusion in the antibody responders compared to the antibody non-responders. And, and something that is very um, uh, interesting, I think, for, for clinician is that no patient with infusion in the last six months presented um, uh, detect um, uh, a response as we defined previously with anti-spike um, that have a neutralizing um, ability. Regarding the T-cell response, um, we were able to show that the mRNA COVID-19 generated spike-specific cytokine uh, response uh, of T-cells was uh, significantly uh, more important when cells were stimulated with the spike peptides compared to the non-stimulated condition. This was tr true for all three cytokines, for interferon gamma, TNF, and IL-2, and for all three groups, healthy controls, rituximab, and other immunosuppressants for the CD4. For the CD8 response, uh, there was um, less uh, conditions uh, where it was detected, but most conditions showed a significant difference between non-stimulated and the peptide-stimulated conditions. The functional uh, cytokine response um, inactivated uh, CD4 and CD8 T-cells, which is the main results uh, regarding the T-cell response. Um, we showed um, that there was uh, no difference uh, between the healthy control, rituximab, and other immunosuppressant groups um, in both C4 and CD8 T-cells, and also for all three cytokines, interferon gamma, TNF, and IL-2. So this overall shows that um, there's no elements uh, in our hands and with the technique we used uh, to see that rituximab reduce the T-cell response uh, to mRNA uh, COVID vaccine. We also were interested in comparing um, uh, the T-cell response between antibody responders and non-responders in the rituximab group. And we were able to show that there was no difference um, in CD4 T-cells in all three cytokines. And uh, interestingly, we were able to show that in the CA T-cell, whereas for interferon gamma and IL-2, it was similar to CD4 T-cells. There was no difference between antibody responders and antibody non-responders uh, in, in the rituximab group. There was a trend towards a higher um, CD8 T-cell response against TNF-alpha uh, in the uh, antibody non-responder uh, group compared to the antibody responders, as if um, having no antibody uh, would impact uh, the T-cell response and, 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 inc and have a, an impact, a positive impact on the CD8 T-cell response in this group. 
So um, in order to discuss these results, um, we, and especially um, regarding this, uh, this, uh, this effect uh, in the CD8 population, even though in our study it wasn't significant, um, we looked at the literature and there's a, a MACAC study um, showing that the CD8 uh, depletion uh, in, the in the condition with low antibody um, convalescent animals um, leads to a higher replication after a red challenge with a COVID-19 uh, vaccine. So this um, gives a, a flavor of, of what uh, correlate of protection um, uh, these uh, CD8s uh, might have um, and how important they might be uh, to fight against uh, the infection in a condition where uh, antibodies are not uh, present or are at present at low uh, concentrations. Uh, but this, of course, uh, is uh, only uh, a hint and might, it needs to be uh, confirmed in a clinical study uh, in patients. And also um, uh, in another uh, study uh, published in Natural Medicine in, two, in September uh, 2021, um, in multiple sclerosis patients um, who are also treated with anti-C20, not only uh, rituximab, uh, but other molecules also. Um, the, the authors were confirmed the, the results um, uh, regarding the similar T cell response um, in the control group and in the antibody responders and non-responders patients. But they saw a higher, and this, and this time a significantly higher C8 uh, T cell response in antibody non-responders compared to controls, uh, which, um, is also something interesting to, to mention in, in our context. So in conclusion, um, autoimmune disease uh, patient treated with rituximab, vaccinated with a BNT162 uh, B2 uh, mRNA COVID-19 vaccine show an impaired uh, humoral response if a rituximab um, is given in the last six months spe specifically, but they show a preserved T cell response. This might be an incentive to vaccinate um, at any time to build at least a T cell response, and we can always boost and uh, and um, at at a later time point uh, to uh, build a humoral response um, uh, when uh, the effect of rituximab um, has weaned. Larger studies are needed to assess the potential of protection granted by a T cell response uh, without antibody to prevent um, COVID-19 disease. Um, I'd like to uh, once again thank uh, all uh, my co-authors in this author, uh, the clinicians, uh, the virologists who performed the um, uh, anti-spike and, uh, and the surrogate neutralization assays, um, uh, those uh, immunologists who perform uh, the, the, the analysis of the T cell response, um, and um, and uh, my, uh, my PI, uh, Professor Xavier Mariette, who initiated uh, this project and uh, guided me uh, through doing it. And also um, the nurses um, and the other doctors who um, took care of the vaccination program in our department, which was very um, helpful for the, the patients to, uh, to, to do and uh, which uh, was very successful. Um, thank you again for this uh, opportunity to uh, share our work. And um, I hope, um, this enlightens the, the, deba the debate on uh, vaccination in the specific uh, population in autoimmune disease patients uh, treated with uh, rituximab. Hi, I'm Robert Spira from Hospital for Special Surgery and Weill Cornell Medical College. 
and I'm going to talk about our abstract B-cell reconstitution is strongly associated with COVID-19 vaccine responsiveness in rheumatic disease patients treated with rituximab. By way of background, we know that a challenge for clinicians as we've approached the pandemic is trying to understand how our diseases and how the medications used to treat our diseases might affect responsiveness to COVID vaccines, especially as those became available earlier this year. In some prior work that our group had done, we demonstrated that of approximately 90 patients on various rheumatic, anti-rheumatic medications, patients with rituximab seemed to be much more likely to not demonstrate a serologic response to the vaccine than patients treated with other immunomodulatory therapies. We know that rituximab has previously been shown to impair antibody response to other vaccines, such as influenza vaccine and streptococcus vaccine. And guidelines are being developed and they continue to evolve how to approach rituximab use and timing of vaccination in the context of the pandemic with regard to the COVID-19 vaccinations. In this analysis, we looked at a cohort of patients who were treated with rituximab and had received a full series of vaccination and did a retrospective analysis of their vaccine response as measured by antibody levels. So again, the methods were that this was a retrospective chart review and we included patients who had been treated with rituximab at any point in the past and had completed their series of vaccination uh, against COVID-19. We collected demographic information, their diagnoses, concurrent therapies, vaccine types and dates. And importantly, we collected the time from last rituximab infusion to vaccination, as well as a quantitative serologic vaccine response. What was different about this analysis than some others though, is we also hypothesized that CD19 positivity, meaning the beginnings of reconstitution of detectable peripheral B cells would likely predict vaccine responsiveness. This is something we had recognized in our initial series of patients looked at as potentially being a predictive factor. And we thought we would test that specifically in this retrospective analysis. And we used constitution status. So we identified 58 patients who met criteria for inclusion. The majority were female and Caucasian and the mean age was about 63 years. And we had information about B cell reconstitution in about 71% of patients. What we found was that time from last rituximab was significantly longer in seropositive patients compared to seronegative patients, which is something that others have observed as well. We also found there was a significant difference in B cell reconstitution between patients who had positive antibody responses to those who had negative antibody responses. And in terms of thinking of these patients in buckets, um, most guidelines have used time from last rituximab infusion to help inform likelihood of a vaccine response, at least in terms of how that could be captured by serologic response. And what we found is that in patients more than 12 months since their last rituximab infusion, only 12% did not demonstrate a serologic response. 
Whereas if we looked at patients who were less than six months from the time of the last rituximab exposure, about 86% of patients did not demonstrate a serologic response. So a very substantial proportion of patients, the vast majority of those less than six months did not have a serologic response to the vaccine. If we look at the patients between six and 12 months from last rituximab exposure, as many as 50% did not demonstrate a serologic response to the vaccine. But then if we incorporated B-cell reconstitution into that analysis, we found that if you look at patients who had detectable B-cells, 92% of those patients who were greater than six months from their last rituximab exposure who were B-cell reconstituting at the time of, uh, of measurement of antibodies did have a positive response, whereas only 76% of patients who were greater than six months from last rituximab exposure without knowing their B-cell reconstitution status had a serologic response to the vaccine. Um, similarly, if we look at patients from six to 12 months from last rituximab exposure, where only 50% were seropositive, if you look at the group who were B-cell reconstituted at the time this was measured, 83% responded among those with detectable B-cells in that six to 12 month group. And finally, we calculated the positive predictive value of B-cell reconstitution for the COVID serologic response to be 92%, and the negative predictive value was 68%, close to 69%. So in summary, this was a retrospective analysis with all the caveats that that entails. But we recognized that longer time from last rituximab infusion was associated with the greater likelihood of a serologic response to the vaccine. But B-cell reconstitution also seemed to be associated with a much greater likelihood of demonstrating a serologic response to the COVID vaccine. And importantly, a really substantial number of patients who were greater than six months out from their last rituximab infusion did not demonstrate a serologic response. If we incorporated B-cell reconstitution, however, you could identify, we think, a group of patients who were much more likely to have a serologic response to the vaccine. And this could be important to strategies for maximizing responsiveness to the COVID vaccine, particularly in places where vaccine access is limited. Um, so this needs to be looked at in further prospective experiences. Some of those studies are ongoing, um, but this gives us a hint that this really fairly readily accessible assay may help clinicians inform decisions about timing of administration of COVID vaccinations. And we think that perhaps this may also help inform decisions regarding timing of booster vaccines as that has now become more relevant in rituximab treated patients. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this edition of our ACR Authors Reviews. I hope you enjoyed these presentations. Make sure to subscribe to CSF Podcasts on Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on our great Congress content or any of our other usual monthly podcasts. You can also visit the CSF webpage at cytokinesignaling.com where you can access a whole range of resources from monthly slide summaries of the latest papers to accredited CME courses and even more content in between. 
Thanks for listening and come back often.